Luke 2, 41 through 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So we know very little about Jesus' childhood. I tell the children in groups and kid worship that when we read something in the Bible, it's probably pretty important because ink and paper were very expensive back then. So when people wrote what we would call a biography, they only included what was absolutely necessary or what moved the story. It's not like today when your teacher says you need 700 words and you write, I am very, 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 very happy you asked this question. They would never do that. They go right into the story. I mean, think about it. The Gospel of John and the Gospel of Mark don't even include the Christmas story. They go right into Jesus as an adult. And so you know, one of the few stories we have about Jesus' childhood comes here in Luke. And when we read it, it can make us say, what? You know, because here, Mary and Joseph have left Jesus in Jerusalem. And I've had people in Bible studies ask me, they say, you know, were Mary and Joseph good parents? Is this evidence of something bigger? And that's putting a little too much in there. So I want to spend a moment this morning and looking at this text in its culture so that we can see there was nothing wrong with Mary and Joseph's parenting because comparing a 12-year-old now to a 12-year-old then is like comparing apples to orangutans. There is no comparison. But I also want to show you something really cool that we kind of miss sometimes because we weren't, we're not Hebrew and we didn't speak the first century language that may show us why Mary was chosen. It may show us why Mary and Joseph were the parents God picked to raise his son. And so let's jump into this. So the first thing we see in this story of the temple is how old Jesus was. He was 12 years old. And that's really important because back then when, when a Hebrew male became 12, basically he became a man. He became a man spiritually, and he became a man professionally. I know we think 12-year-olds think they're men, but in that culture, it was very different. Remember, the average life expectancy was only like 40, 45 years old. Mary got engaged when she was only 14 or 15 years old. Some people even think maybe a little younger than that. Now, the engagement would have taken a full year, but she was still very, very young. When a Hebrew male turned 12, he'd have to go up to the temple three times a year and worship. It's even still today in the Jewish faith, they still do what's called bar and bar mitzvahs, which means 
the one whom now the law applies. So basically, it's like today when you're on your parents' health insurance and you get to 26 and they're like, you got to get off. At the age of 12, you had to get off your parents' faith and develop your own faith and live out the law. So Jesus is becoming a man spiritually, but he's also becoming a man occupationally. Now, remember, this is not a fluid society. This is, this is a culture where you did what your daddy did. If your dad was a fisherman, you were a fisherman. If your dad was a carpenter, you were a carpenter, except if you became a disciple or a rabbi. And so Jesus is going to start at 12 learning the traits of Joseph, the carpentry. And, and so think about it like this. It's not that he's learning to build furniture. He's starting his career. He's starting his vocation. So at 12 years old, Jesus is becoming a man, much more so than, than in our culture. So when you hear the story of Jesus getting left in Jerusalem, or really, if you read it, choosing not to get into the caravan, this is not Kevin in Home Alone. Ah, This is like an 18 to 20-year-old guy now who went on a family trip who didn't get in the tour bus and is hanging out at the hotel, right? That's what this is kind of like. So, so when you see this, don't be like, oh, Mary and Joseph left the baby. This isn't baby Jesus. This isn't toddler Jesus. This isn't Jesus in the temple being dedicated. This is a 12-year-old a who, again, in their culture would have been approaching manhood. So again, let's not see Joseph and Mary as bad parents, but see the difference in our cultures. But the beautiful thing in this is what did I just tell you about the law in Exodus 23? That when a Hebrew male became 12, they had to go up to the temple three times a year. See, Mary didn't have to go. Only Joseph and Jesus had to go to the temple. Mary did not have to go, but yet we see her going. In fact, culturally, we know that many women did not go to the temple for several reasons. Number one was it was a long trip. Remember, they're living in Nazareth. They had to walk all the way to Jerusalem. If you walked straight to Jerusalem as fast as you could from Nazareth, it would take 31 hours. So we knew it took them several days because they'd have to start and stop and they had terrible roads. And they also had to deal with bandits and people who would hide, hide in caves. Think about the parable of the prodigal son. They jumped out and beat him on the road. Um, and it was a different road, but it was still the same reality and the same danger that they would have faced. That's why they traveled in caravans. Women would also stay behind because couples like Mary and Joseph, who we know did not have a big financial means, the woman could stay home and make butter or, or grow crops or do something to either provide for the family when they got back or to sell to make money for the family. So many women didn't go for, for what we would say were actually good reasons. But Mary went. Think about that for a second. Mary went to the temple when she didn't have to. Mary risked her own personal safety. She traveled in that caravan. Now, I'm sure there were other women in that caravan too, but she traveled with them, risked her own personal safety to show Jesus how important God is to her, how important worship is to us as people. She risked financial well-being. She can't make anything. She can't do anything at the home for, for however many days, probably three or four to get there and three or four to get back. Mary and Joseph are making no money. They are just focused on worship and giving Jesus that experience. Now, I'm going to pause right here for a second because I know people who can't turn off their phone and worship, right? And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I know people who they could miss a deal. They could miss an opportunity if they turn that phone off. 
And maybe we need to hear this again. Mary and Joseph lost money on this trip to go teach Jesus the most valuable thing in the world, to show Jesus where true wealth lies, and that is in worship of the one true God. See, the other thing is that even when women got to the temple, the temple back then had courts, right? They had courts. And so the women would have been in the third court, almost the last court, the court of women, the court, only the court of Gentiles was behind them. So when they got to the temple, they couldn't hear anything. They couldn't experience what the men experienced. It, it, they would have had some of the, anim, the money changers and the animals and stuff, not necessarily in their court, but really close to their court. So it had been chaos. Yet Mary goes to show Jesus her faith. And, and again, I think that's such an important lesson. We say, well, that can't translate because we don't have court of women today. But it does translate to all of us. Because how many times do we not go to church because maybe the music's not how we like it? Or, or, or maybe the sermon was too long and I want to do something else. Or, or maybe that's not our style or that's not the way we like it or whatever it is. And we make it about us. And what we've got to realize is like, Mary, it's not about us. First and foremost, it's about God. But second, it's about those little eyes that are watching us. Maybe our children, maybe our grandchildren. Maybe, maybe it's not even our children, it's a neighbor's children or it's kids we're mentoring or leading. But we've got to remember there's little eyes watching us and hearing what we say and, and realize it's not about us. See, Mary showed us here in this Bible passage that she was willing to risk. Remember, this isn't going to church. Let's just make sure we understand that. This isn't going to church. They had to go three and four days to get to the temple. This is going away. But Mary risked her own well-being to show Jesus what was important. And when you think about it, maybe that's why Mary got chose. Maybe that's why Mary and Joseph were the perfect parents for Jesus, because God doesn't make mistakes. A sovereign providential God makes no mistakes. And there was a reason he sent that baby how he did and when he did. So when we read this text, don't, don't look at it as Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. Yes, they did. And yes, there were some consequences for that. Look at it as Mary showed her faith. See, I know a lot of times in our culture, we don't know what to do with Mary. And so we do nothing with her, right? We don't want to worship her. But we need to realize Mary was an incredible example of faith. When the angel appeared to Mary and said, hey, you're going to have a baby with all the consequences that come with having a child out of wedlock, she said, do to me as you want. When, when the shepherds, the dirty, defiled shepherds came walking up to the manger and told her this crazy story, she didn't run them off. She welcomed them and pondered what they said. When Simeon grabbed the baby out of her arms in the temple and told her, you're going to suffer too because of this baby, she embraced it, engaged it, and pondered. And here we see Mary walking to the temple, giving up her personal safety to show Jesus the value of worship. And I think in that, we need to not take Mary as some superhero, but take Mary as an example of faith, of great faith that you and I can actually live out, that you and I can display to those little eyes watching us. Now, I want to challenge you real quick in the new year. Real quick, this is a real quick challenge. I want to challenge you. I want you sometime in the next two days to take out a piece of paper. And on one side, I want you to just put values. And I want you to list out your values. 
What, what do you say is the most important values? It may be three, it may be four, maybe five, could be more now. I don't know. But write down what you believe are your core values, your core priorities, things that you want people to know you for. On the other side, I want you to put a cross from each one of those values. How are you really doing? Where is it really in your life? What kind of time is that value getting? And I'm not trying to shame you here because here's the reality. When our core values don't match up to our time, it creates frustration. It creates anxiety. It creates depression like we see. So I'm not telling you to do it as a shame. I'm telling you to do it to fix it, to help your life. Take your core values. Take your real priorities. Be honest with yourself. Don't show this to anybody else. And then I want you to write in the middle what in 2021 you're going to do to make that value have the priority it deserves. Because I'm going to tell you, that's not only going to help you and change your life, it's going to be an amazing witness and example to your children, to your grandchildren, to the people you're mentoring, to the people you're trying to engage. It may not be a real child. It may be a spiritual child, but they're still watching you. And we have the opportunity to witness and be an example as Mary was here to Joseph. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who comes into our hearts and our lives and reminds us of the promise of Emmanuel, that you are always with us. And Lord, we thank you for examples of the faith like Mary, who were willing to sacrifice, to empty themselves out, to show others how great you are, to worship you. And so, Lord, in this new year, man, 2020 has been crazy. But in this new year, Lord, we pray that you bless us in a mighty way, but bless us to be blessings in this world. Bless us to live our faith out in an amazing way to show the world how great you are and to bring them to you. Lord, help us to have faith like Mary. Help us to have worship like Jesus where we're just so engaged in what we're hearing and learning that we forget we're in the temple three days. Help us to have commitment like Joseph so that we can show this world how wonderful, how awesome, and how perfect you are. Lord, we just love you for all you do, and we thank you for all you do, and we just praise you We praise you for Christmas. We praise you for Easter. We praise you for your grace. We praise you for your love. We praise you for who you are. We pray this in your name. Amen.